Hey, Augmenters. I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. And we know that great leaders have great mentors. And today we are joined by Karen Farrell Rhodes, a transformative people leader, a CHRO, a business owner, and the author of the book, Lead at the Top of Your Game. Today, we're going to learn how to connect better with others through the power of sharing culture, building community through food. You will learn how to grow to your potential by understanding the importance of the return on investment when talking about human resource situations, and that even though your focus is on the people, you still have a direct bottom line productive approach to the business. In our entire episode, the theme will be consistency. That is our augmenter's principle and how important it is that when you have a goal, you need to continue to work for it. And Karen exemplifies that over her career as being so consistent in continuing to build and lead mentoring programs to create culture of innovation and honestly, happy people in organizations throughout the world. All right. Well, Karen Farrell Rhodes, we are so, so excited to have you on Augmenters with us today. You are the CEO of Shockingly Different Leadership, which I cannot wait to hear more about that name. I love it. You are the author of the best selling book, Leading at the Top of Your Game. You are a leading expert when it comes to human resources, when it comes to bringing phenomenal culture into companies. And we cannot wait to have a conversation with you today. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing fabulous. I feel like I need an Oscar acceptance speech after that wonderful introduction. But <laughs> I want to thank all the little people out there. I love you all. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, Karen, you are in the right spot because you have an opportunity to thank a mentor. Somebody maybe who saw something in you very early on that helped you potentially get to where you are today. So you actually teed up my first question beautifully. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> well, the first, I have quite a few, um, and that's a whole nother story, but I will, I want to give kudos to my own little mentor mastermind group. Uh, we started Ooh. out as a mentoring group and have grown into deep friends. We've been together. We've met every month for 10 years now. And we were all uh, former C-suite execs and ended up being founders of our own firm. And so I want to give a shout out to VPAC. It's actually, it's a weird kind of name, but it's made uh, up of our letters of our first names. But when I tell you these are superstars um, across the globe, they truly are. So they have created the... That's amazing. What a gift, because I know there's so many organizations that try to find ways to help bring people together, yeah. whether it's chief or whether it's the young president's organization mm -hmm. or women's president's organization, right? There's Vistage so many ways people are trying to bring people yeah. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that they, they, you meant that you've managed to find this group and be able to stick together and support each other. That's awesome. Thank you. We love it. We did absolutely enjoyed it. We had our last meeting on last Friday. So yeah, we're still going strong. I have to ask, how do you all get together? I mean, 10 years ago, I'm going to guess it wasn't Zoom to begin with. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Actually, we rotated offices. Um, I, mm. 
have a commercial space. So that was kind of the default place to go because we have big conference rooms and what have you. Our firm did, um, and we still own the space, but of course, I do a mix of home office and um, in person. But uh, that was kind of our default area. And then we rotated. And then you're right, uh, when the pandemic occurred, we ended up transitioning to Zoom. And now we do a hybrid now because it's just a lot more convenient. Gotcha. You, you, you all are so like, you know, on point with what's like real at the time, you know, yeah. meeting in conference rooms. I know. Who does that? Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. And that's really like that peer mentorship because you're all in the same position, having come potentially from C-suite and a larger company. And now, you know, I know starting a professional services firm and and dealing with all that to be able to take care of each other. Was there um, sometime earlier on in your career, potentially, where there was somebody who potentially inspired you, got you thinking about really wanting to help organizations in the various ways you have? Or was there what we call an anti-mentor, maybe somebody who you worked with and you thought, ooh, I really want to work within a company to help the culture change? Well, I'll just say the earliest mentor too, but the earliest Mm -hmm. mentor I had, quite honestly, was my father. Um, He was what you would call uh, a big fish in a small pond. He was very well known in our community and the go-to mentor and expert on a variety of things. So by he, he, I being a daddy's girl and uh, monitoring and watching him like a hawk with he and his uh, very close knit of friends. I call they're kind of like the African African American male version of Ocean's Eleven. That was his crew. I'm a movie buff, so I had to use a movie analogy. But they truly were. They all had their own area of specialty. They mentored each other. They kidded it around and joked with each other. But it was all about family, respect, love, and mentorship at the end of the day. So by Mm. just being a fly on the wall and watching them and being in their presence and watch them share their areas of expertise and pulling together as a group at all times was just absolutely amazing. So that kind of laid the foundation. And then uh, after I completed my master's program, uh, I was at uh, Comcast at the time. And I remember there was a consultant to the CEO. Um, He was in human resources. He technically would have been a CHRO, but um, he was actually a consultant, a vendor consultant. But he took me under his wing, believe it or not. And I always asked him, why weren't you, because we had an open CHR spot, why didn't you take that? And he said, I will never take it until it is given the level of respect, power, authority to make influence that it needs mm-hmm. to. And in, I, you always need to, to be at the table to play the game at the same level as the rest of the peers. And in a consultant role, I can do that because I can walk anytime. They value my expertise, but as a subordinate, maybe not so much so. But anywho, he shepherded me and mentored me uh, throughout my first two and a half years there and everything on the people side of business. And I appreciate him to this day. I love it. Can you tell us a little more, Karen, like how did that first come together with you and this individual at Comcast? You know, I, I assume you weren't walking by his office and he was like, <laughs> get in here. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a future for you. No, it didn't. And actually I think it was just meant to be because I, every new executive at a certain level 
got to come up to the home offices in Philly mm-hmm. at some point within your first year. And so I had scheduled for one of those, you know, tours of the home office and, you know, they wine and dine you and do all that. And he had heard that I was coming on a board and as one of the few, I'm just to be honest with you, women of color who were leaders, mm-hmm. he had made a mark of the, of the date I was coming into the home office and swung by just to say hello. And we hit it off immediately. I was in my 20s. He was in probably his uh, later 50s. And for some reason, we connected. And we both invested in keeping up that connection and relationship. And um, it just flourished from there. That is amazing. <laughs> I love hearing that story about somebody wanting to make sure that people were taken care of and that there were opportunities for, you know, kind of like, I would say the generational training that yes. comes on yes. with like knowing a company uh, for that kind of time. That's right. That's beautiful. But it was a two-way street, I will just say. Um, he yeah. was really interested in mentoring me, but he also wanted to hear what was going on, feet on the ground out across the country. And so he he made it clear up front that he wanted it to be a two-way street and he wanted to hear what the rumbles were, if you will, or the, out there, what was top of mind for the employee population. And so it was a two-way mentoring agreement. That's so cool. And that's so true. We talk about that all the time. That is really the key of mentoring. It is not a one-way, it is absolutely two-way. And you're going to learn things that you never would have guessed. You're going to talk to people you never would have assumed that you'd hear this wisdom from. But I love what you're saying a little bit about consulting, right? And how the consultant comes in with that. Jimmy and I are both consultants. So we know that background when you come in and you are valued, right? Because somebody's actually paying you for your time. And then of course you can always leave. So tell me a little bit about how that sort of consulting piece that prompted you to want to start shockingly different leadership coming from such a corporate background. And what is, what, what kind of change were you hoping to make within the organizations um, that you are now currently working with? Great question. I will say that I have been really lucky throughout my career in that the type of bosses that I had never tried to put me in a box. And I'm that out of the box type of gal. I always stretch beyond what the job description says. I'm the first one to raise my hand if there's a stretch project. So that flexibility, not everybody gets that. Let me just say that. But that flexibility allows me to, allowed me to think outside of the box a lot and what I wanted to do. And I'll say the longest time I've spent at a corporate firm was almost 14 years at Microsoft. And absolutely loved it. I absolutely was able to thrive there. But I was also able to put a stake in the ground in areas of expertise that I didn't go to school for by particularly in particular, but I was able to give it a try. And they were empowering enough to let to take a chance on my expertise to figure it out with a team. Like what? Give us specific. So back then, uh, Microsoft was in big acquisition mode. Uh, They were acquiring Mm. a lot of uh, smaller tech companies. And so I was able to participate in our venture capital group where we were evaluating and acquiring new companies. Um, I didn't, you know, go to school and mergers and acquisitions or, you know, I wasn't on Wall Street. But because I was so passionate about, you know, leadership, people, assimilating individuals into our corporate environment, they saw my passion and expertise and allowed me to do that. I was also allowed to lead major uh, realignments within our organization as well. Um, So a lot, and then I was able to 
um, also helped lead establishing our first ever global high potential leadership program, mm. which was for Ooh. the top 5% at the company at the time. And so being able to take advantage of these true stretch projects that had an impact on people's lives was huge. And to answer your question, and I'm sorry I was so verbose, but to answer your question, while I absolutely love doing that within the walls of such a you know great organization that had the resources, I wanted to share that my learnings and areas of expertise outside of just those four walls. And so that's what gave me the courage to establish uh, a firm of my own. That's amazing. Did you have a mentor to help you through that transition from corporate? I mean, it sounds like you have this peer group, but did you have anybody who's, you know, really inspired you to, to move into that direction? You know what, not just a single person, but when you are thinking about making that major life change, you start talking to everyone that you know who has Mm -hmm. met that journey. And um, even if it's spot mentoring or, you know, whatever nuggets that they can bring to the table to help you, you just devour. And so that's what I spent about two years doing, you know, any and everyone who I knew had that transition. And I have a huge network because you can tell I'm chatty. I love to reach out to people and I love to give as much as getting. So um, I try try to always return the favor to people for their gift of insights uh, that they shared with me. And with all those little pieces of information, I was able able to pull together a a pretty good plan. Karen, I'd love to talk more about the Global High Potential Leadership Development Executive Program. It is it's a quite a mouthful. Yeah, I, I, I can see you, you've workshopped the branding now with your business. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you, you can say it in one breath. But, I tried. <laughs> but it, it's a big deal, these kind of development programs. Yeah. And I have to assume that when you were beginning this back in like the mid 2000s, mm-hmm. this was pretty cutting edge. And there was still probably more techie people than quote unquote, like, you know, MBAs like yourself, but not as many MBAs like yourself that you were trying to kind of begin to prepare to take on larger P&Ls, larger direct reporting structures, et cetera. And nowadays with like the whole entrepreneurship is cool. Still not sure when that happened, but it did. Now that that's cool, I mean, everybody wants those skills uh, that are kind of, I would say, beyond classic classroom instruction. So can you tell us a little bit, like, how did you come up with the idea? How did you start building that coalition to find consensus across different parts of the organization? Because I assume it wasn't just like, hey, Karen, here's a budget. Here's a couple people. Knock it out. You know, you had to, I assume, reach reach across the quote unquote many aisles to get people to get excited about this. Like, I just like, what's the genesis? Well, you know, I will say that we did have some magic fairy dust. Uh, so we oh. and everyone, every organization wants a strong leadership development program. Let's be real. Um, yeah. And they, but they want to see the results and the ROI from it. What our fairy dust was, was we had just gotten a new COO who was um, Kevin Turner at the time, who had come from uh, Walmart. And he and Steve Ballmer wanted, both desired to have a, a deeper bench development program. And so mm. Kevin actually, we ended up doing a hybrid funding where all of the head executives in each business division contributed an amount to it. But then Kevin took from his own budget 
and oh. you know gave us our little cash infusion to grow it to the level that was expected of a company like Microsoft. And I will say our mentors at the time were, because you're right, potential development was at the time cutting edge. And there were very few companies, even enterprise level companies that had divisions or groups or departments specifically dedicated to this area of specialty. So we tried to seek out others who did. And so there were groups, Boeing and Target, and British Petroleum. And some of those companies who had decided to double down on high potential leadership development. And so we created our own kind of think tank there and collaborated with research Mm. with groups like um, the Center for Creative Leadership and Gallup and Mm. some of the other, you know, think tanks in the realm of leadership to try to pull together best practices. So we had our own little tiger team, if you will, uh, back then to share and learn because there wasn't a ton of deep research about it at the time. And then we kind of built it from there and created lifelong um, friendships. So how how did BP feel about you calling it a tiger team if Exxon wasn't (laughs) part of the group? You know, I don't know. They never did raise that objection. <laughs> just, just like you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I know, that. right? <laughs> uh, so, so then, how did you pitch that, like internally? Because yeah. a lot of, or and maybe it wasn't, but we like to think on Augmenter is that a lot of these like executive development principles come down to call it soft skills, business etiquette, things that really aren't taught that much in, I would say, most liberal arts colleges. And a lot of liberal arts colleges are what are kicking out people into these large organizations. Mm -hmm. So how did mentoring play a role in this, even if it was just, we become emotionally invested in each other's success or failures, because I'm here to teach you XYZ about public speaking, but now I want to see you do well in public speaking. So I have kind of grown out of just a trainer into a mentor role. Yeah, how did that come about? Oh, that's a whole encyclopedia worth of um, background. But the short version is that we had to do numerous roadshows. Um, we first planted the seeds oh. with executives one on one or with their small groups of their leadership teams and had discussions about what we were thinking about doing, you know, what we were aspiring to do and how it would connect with their business. We also talked about what they would get and what they were going to have to give up and Mm. tried to understand the roadblocks that were in our path. And um, we did our best to try to get those who were skeptical on board. You know, always there's some early adopters and we tried to document, you know, what they saw as a win-win and then have those same discussions with those who wanted us to go a little bit more slowly, but we knew we couldn't, what we had to do to kind of bring them along on the journey. So there was a lot of early socializing around that. So when we got to some of the key decision makings around budget and commitment of people resources and time away from the business and all that kind of good stuff, we knew where the roadblocks were and addressed them Mm. up front so that we had deeper and more rich conversations to do the, you know, cross the final T's and dot the final I's at the decision making meetings. So that early work really helped advance our effort. And, and so w- once the program got r- up and running, how were relationships created across departments? 
Like how did somebody in the engineering team begin to feel comfortable repeatedly meeting with and sharing with somebody, you know, in the PR team? Yeah, great question. Well, we didn't start the mentoring programs until the mid of year two in the Mm. development experience. And part of that is to give our participants the air cover to meet individuals from different departments. Because to your point, we kind of worked in our silos, you know, software developers were fiving and having lunch with other software developers while salespeople, you know, were doing the opposite. And so we gave them the space to learn about each other, work together in workshops, get together, you know, on our dine-arounds, what we call them when we had small groups of four going out to dinner together. And because we're a global company, we were using Using, uh, platforms like Zoom before they were popular. So we had people meet each other globally. So once you start opening the doors to better inclusion and appreciation of others from different departments, it made it a lot more easy to open the door to mentoring relationship at the time because then they realize, hey, I don't know everything about everything and I need some additional yeah insights to if I really want my career to go in the direction that I want to go or if I want to grow in the way that I want to grow in. And so, yeah, that's what we started in year two. I love it. I, I need to hear more about the dinings. So you would you have- <laughs> It's all about the food. Oh, the yeah. food, the dinerounds. No, no, no. I, I don't care about the food, of course. We, we though technically, Julie and I work in the food industry, oh. so we're supposed to. But no, I'm actually really curious, like, how would you put those groups of four together how would they know what their budget is? Would they be prompted with what to talk about? Because if suddenly, Karen, you were, you just sent me an email that was like, Jimmy, calendar invite, meet me at this time. Three other people, you don't even have their names, will just be there as well. I'd be like, what is about to happen? I'm about to show up in the back of a van outside Home Depot. Yeah. You know, this is not going to go well. So, yeah, like, like how, how would that all be coordinated and how would you measure success? So it was a, a mix of programmatic coordination and then on the spot local coordination. So the yeah. first thing, we introduced the concept to everyone in year one. And actually, people were kind of excited about it. They wanted to meet new people. So it was like a carrot saying, I, this is a, one of the components, but we're not going to start into year two. So hang in there. You know, in the meantime, you know, get to know those that are participating in your, you know, workshops together or, mm. you know, whatever development experience um, that we were hosting at the time. But by the time we got to that point, we made it fully voluntary. So they had to raise their hand that they wanted to participate, agreed to participate and not leave the others high and dry. If they weren't up for it personally and didn't want it, we did not force them into it. So that was key. So everybody raised their hand, wanted to do this. And Mm -hmm. then we had um, just some light, I would almost say mentoring, not even skill building training, but light mentoring on the kind of conversations that can, um, we invite them to start off with and then let it grow organically from there. We gave them budget. Everyone, I don't know if they want me to tell this, but I'm going to say it anyway, since I'm very far removed from my crop these days. But everyone at the time had, you know, corporate cards. So we gave a limit to the amount that could be spent so they couldn't, you know, have a (laughs) $5,000 bottle of wine or anything, right? So we gave a limit. But, you know, we gave a few parameters and then someone volunteer as a local leader, whether it be virtual or actually at a restaurant. And then they kind of 
you know, went from there. We had an emergency call number, cell number, if they got stuck or if it wasn't going well. I can only remember one time that anyone, someone called and said, you know, this is not vibing. But for the most part, it was very successful. So it's the opt-in approach, given a few light parameters so that those who like order feel comfortable and then letting them, you know, shine as their best selves there. I love that. And actually, Jimmy and I, we talk a lot about this, of course, being in the food industry, about how food brings people together, right? That it is really this connector. So instead of sitting across from each other in a boardroom or all being on Zoom together, having that opportunity to really meet, break bread, have a more, just a more connection. That's what we were talking about with the principles is having that connected conversation. Sounds like it was something that really would be able to give a great, I don't know, a great chance to really get to know each other. Is that sort of model something that you bring to other organizations? Is that something that you kind of saw that worked that you've replicated in the past? Or is that maybe more specific to... um, to, to that organization? Absolutely. We have brought that concept to other organizations and helped them kind of plan it because we have a framework that they can start with. But we, of course, there's customization for their culture and environments. But it, it depends upon every organization about um, how they want to implement it and when. So we try to work with them to find the right format and the right time, but it can be extremely powerful. And we tell them, don't you know, no one should expect to solve world hunger in the first dine around because usually you don't go that deep, but... You might solve your own right. hunger, but maybe not world not hunger. Not world hunger. Personal <laughs> hunger, perhaps. But what you find is there are moments when, you know, someone gets comfortable and has that moment of vulnerability that connects with others. And it's in a small enough group that everyone can, you know, relate and it opens doors for others to feel vulnerable and share and people build upon that. And then that's when they start building the trust and the, and have the courage to, you know, reach out, even if it's not with the group of four, reach out one-on-one. That's what opens doors that we found. I have so many questions about how (laughs) your experience, because this sounds like a really invested organization approach where there was real goals. Like you said, you really had like the best in the world, right? The best businesses in the world coming together, thinking about how to help the top, the best of the best. What kind of advice would you give to smaller organizations who are potentially struggling with engagement, struggling with the hybrid workplace, struggling with people staying really engaged and helping the organization drive forward. And somebody gets a great idea of, hey, we should start a mentoring program. (laughs) And the mentoring program lands on somebody's desk, you know, potentially, of course, an HR person, potentially it could be, you know, a senior leader. And they think, okay, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. So do you have any sort of best practices that you've had experience with over time that smaller organizations could potentially use to start creating those you know, hydrogen bonds of connection within an organization, whether it's in a typical mentoring program or whether it's a little bit more informal? Right. That's a great question. We've learned the hard way that you really should start with the audience that you're trying to impact or please or lead. Coming up with your own mentor design, you should always have one in your hip pocket. I mean, you know, some of the best practices, but coming up with your own from scratch and trying to implement it before you gain buy-in is the kiss of death. Mm. Uh, There are so many things that you just didn't 
know to ask, didn't know to look out for. Many times such programs feel forced upon the very individuals that are time starved already. And if you haven't gotten their buy-in, their willingness, and their engagement up front, then you've almost shot yourself in the foot already before you even start. So for small organizations, I would say start with the people that you're trying to help to impact. See if it's something that they even want. Whole small focus groups, have one-on-one coffees, get a cross-section of all the stakeholders in your organization and see if it is going to be truly a win-win. And if it was a win-win, what are some of those key success factors that they would be looking for? And then I would say start there to build your design. And it can, as you know, there's some very intricate mentoring programs and there's just some very organic ones. And so you're just going to have to try to find the ones that work best for you. And I'll say one of the worst experiences that I've had in relation to mentoring programs was a forced match by computer. We had loaded <laughs> profiles into a computer and tried to do a match.com for mentoring. And, without the swiping. Oh, without the swiping. <laughs> and, and we presented two potential mentors. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> without giving, oh, it was just, I just, let me just say it was just the worst. We gave them two options based on this computer ag- algorithm. Of course, we're a techie company, right? We were going to do that. It just, it just didn't work. It just did not. So it looked good on paper, looked very innovative, but uh, we had to go back and and rethink it. But I'll stop there. I'll have then another kind of question about technology as a whole versus other industries. Mm -hmm. So, and I I know this might've been a little bit a a while ago, but I know your your finger's still on the pulse given all of your current customers. So you were at Blue Cross in healthcare, yeah. and then you were at Microsoft. Yeah. Was there a different like cultural feel between those organizations around mentoring? Because we talk all the time here at Augmenters about like the hydrogen bonds of mentoring is what holds organizations together quite often. Because there's no there's no compensation involved. Nobody's forced to do this. Right. But like you know, how is the culture of mentoring different? And maybe it's not. You'd be like Jimmy, dumb dumb question. Move on. And is there differences in kind of industries in general? So my short answer would be yes, there is a difference. Mm. But let me explain why. Um, Uh, It's a difference in the industry, but it's a a difference based on that company's culture and what are their top values and business strategies that they're constantly reinforcing in the company. And this is Karen's perspective and feel free to poke holes in it. Don't worry, you're our experts. Whatever you say, we're going to go there. (laughs) Don't worry. You win between the three of us. Oh, (laughs) well, thank you for that, Grace. You're in the right spot. Uh, I would say in healthcare, they are generally very litigious avoidance minded. So they're trying to make sure they stay out of hot water while treating the patient respectfully and with dignity. And there's some tough decisions that healthcare companies face, whether they're going to cover some uh, medical procedures or not, you know, much has been written about it, but they're in a very risk avoidance culture. Mm. And so that's where a lot of the mentoring flowed questions and around that and how to do that. In the tech culture, they were more about revenue producing, being cutting edge while also revenue producing. And so theirs was a little bit more focus on bigger, better, faster, staying ahead of the game, you know, in that field. And a lot of the mentoring occurred 
around how can I do things bigger, better, faster, gain more revenue, hit the business metrics quicker, that kind of thing. So I would guess that, you know, and then um, I did a small stint in government um, and it was on a whole nother realm, you know, it was just about how do you do your best and stay within your box, you know, um, government didn't reward you for thinking outside of the box. So mm-hmm. it, it really, in my opinion, is based, it differs per industry, but it's based upon the values and the environment and business strategies that that entity is trying to survive in and stay hyper competitive in. Well, and I love what you said too, about the opportunity when at Microsoft, you had the COO who was bought into this and who really was willing to put their own budget against it. And so at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, probably no matter what area you're in, and again, as all of us as consultants, you really immediately have to understand what is the value at the top and what are they really focused on. And it is so interesting to see kind of different industries and how they approach it. But then you also know that you could just end up with a new CEO, the new CEO ran a phenomenal mentoring program at their last company and that yeah. changed their life or they had an amazing mentor years ago. And all of a sudden, guess what? You got a lot of budget and you are like off and running. So That's right. I think probably what you experience, Karen, in working with different organizations is that you always are ready for whatever, whatever their appetite is or, or wherever they are. I also, I just loved hearing about the smashing people together through the tech Peace. Do you think there is any kind of role for for tech in mentoring, for you know using technology for mentoring, and what would that be? Absolutely, I believe there tech can absolutely enable it. It was in the execution, which is what I write about in my book, mm. "Leadership of Your Game." It's on the execution of tech. Is I talk about leadership execution in general. It's not. We do a great job in teaching foundational leadership skills, like creating a vision and building high-performing teams. But we get those concepts, but. Our challenge in the workforce is in the execution when roadblocks hit your way, you're not quite sure which way to step, you know, when there are office politics or a major thing happened in your industry or a pandemic comes along, you know, that side swipes everybody. It's in the execution is where everybody gets challenged. And to your point about tech, tech, I feel definitely has a role to help enable and accelerate the implementation of mentoring programs it's just in the execution in it. Remember the human side of business and incorporating that with tech. I think that would really augment most programs. N- nice use of augment. Yeah, I you see that, Ooh, right? Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I also like how uh, the the human resources executive says, don't forget about the humans in business. That's Remember, right. we're still here. I'm a you know? champion of humans yeah. in business. We're still here. I love it. So uh, continuing with kind of things that maybe uh, are a little more fun and more about the people, Mm -hmm. you said you're a movie buff. Is there a mentoring relationship in a movie that you can remember? Like I'll think of like uh, in Goodwill Hunting, Robin Williams and Matt Damon, but like, is there one that comes to mind for you that uh, you really showed about how to like build connection with somebody? Oh gosh, there's so many, but the first one that came to mind was uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Tim. Tim uh, Robbins. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
But did you have a specific question about that? I don't want to no, I just really that. wanted to hear what came to mind for you right away. I love <laughs> that, it. That was one that, that definitely came to mind, kind of navigating, you know, the world of prison, if you will, and, and life in general. That was one that really, that was one of the first ones that came to mind. Totally. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that falls really within our like definition of mentoring, which is, you know, being emotionally invested in someone else's success or failure, you know, yes. Red Morgan Freeman, he never leaves prison. Never. But no. Tim Robbins does, and but yet Red takes so much satisfaction from... He does. And he always talks about, and if you remember, Morgan Freeman talked about his skills were so useful, being a per, known as a person who can get things in prison, but out in the outside world, you know, he felt that he would be nothing. And mm. Tim, Tim Robbins was like, you know, absolutely not. You know, your skills would be valuable outside as well, and I will turn the mentoring table relationships back to you if you have the courage to meet me you know i think they went to mexico or somewhere in south america so it was just a heartwarming story one of my faves love it love <laughs> it so another question i had which is kind of more focused on volunteering definitely done a lot of volunteering and work i saw that with sherman lana yeah. done worked on the volunteering programs Yes. How do you think about helping others like feel that mentoring is important outside of their organization? We talked a lot about like, you know, how do you develop mm -hmm. new leaders for Microsoft? These are already Microsoft employees. Right. But, you know, at Sherm, you're helping people who are across a lot of organizations yes. and leaving their organizations and going out to be part of the community in some way. Yes. You know, what, what are some of the, the tactics you use to get people to think like, how can you give to others that are not you know, already bound together somehow? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I will honestly say, and I've been, I've, I've volunteered a ton and have led volunteer organizations myself, over a thousand people. I will say that on the volunteer side of life, it is extremely hard to encourage or establish mentoring programs because you don't mm. have that captive audiences that you have in in the corporate world. I thought you said um, it's about the people, Carrie. You can't <laughs> hold the people captive. Yes, we can. Motivation. The motivation. Motivation, yeah. And they can, in a volunteer setting, they can up and leave anytime or they can participate or not at any time. So the value that you have to demonstrate and gain their buy-in on it sometimes has to be double or triple because the time mm. that they volunteer that is time that's taken away from their family their workplace their passions and habits they have got to see a win-win that what you together or their involvement in a mentoring program is on equal footing or supersedes what's going on in the rest of their life and so the more you can do to answer those questions and make the one-on-one -on -one connection, I keep saying influence is all about a one-on-one -on -one connection. You can do it in groups, but you have got to create a win-win narrative for every single individual for them to give the time of time to do mentoring right and not be half in and half out. And you know, one of the success inhibitors of any mentoring program, I'm sure you all talk about, is the lack of commitment. I think that's one of your principles that if you're not showing up and being there consistently on a consistent basis, that will kill a mentoring relationship before you can blink twice, right? That's a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> that was great. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think connecting it to something we've been talking a lot about is how, you know, when you volunteer, let's say any kind of volunteering, whether you're, you know, doing garden pickup or you're, you know, packing food or in food deliveries, the feeling that you get right at the end, like you come home and you've done it. And now you're like, you feel great. So like yeah. how do we, connecting mentoring and volunteering to that same position, like you said, how do you get that value that, you know, you're contributing, but yeah. then also, as we talked about at the beginning, like you're hearing something really new and you're learning something totally different. You're, okay. you're, you know, you're participating in somebody else's life in a different way. So I think it is really, and for those volunteer organizations, really making sure that it's super organized, super clear what the objectives are. Okay. It's easy to do. You're not having to like track people down. So that's, that's, you know, of course, always hard in a nonprofit as well. But Karen, I'd love for you to have the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your book, Leading at the Top of Your Game, (laughs) which I love the name. It's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm very excited to share. So I'll just say pre-pandemic, let me just go back a little bit. Throughout my entire existence, I've always been fascinated with what made people tick and what made them be, you know, their best selves. I, I, it was something in me since the day I was born. And I've always been passionate about leadership and helping others to be their best, you know, throughout my entire career. And so after I founded Shockingly Different Leadership and it had grown for a few years, I still saw organizations struggle with trying to get the most out of their people. And I'm like, you know, there's a billion books on leadership. There's a million workshops out there. There's a ton of training. And why can't we still figure this out? And so I commissioned a research study um, with a firm on trying to get to the root cause of this question. You know, what are those who are able to differentiate themselves as being at the top of their game? What do they do that the other 99% of us don't? And so fast forward, we were, I used connections and helped by a numerous organizations, but we were able to interview and or survey over 10,000 individuals who were deemed high performers in their business or industry. And after analyzing the data, there was a lot, obviously, that contributed to their success. But what was interesting is that we found there was a clear line of demarcation on the seven tactics that I ended up writing about. And what was fascinating about them is they were applicable no matter your career stage, if you owned a business or you you were employed in the business and no matter your industry. And so we thought, hey, if I could double down on those seven, that can help empower people, you know, to move closer towards leading at the top of their game. And it's all around executing various uh, leadership aspects. And so I write about them and real quickly, I'll just run down what they they are. They are leading with intellectual horsepower, which is all about using your area of expertise to pick around corners and see opportunities that others miss. Um, it's The second one is leading with courageous agility. It's about having the courage and fortitude to do what you think is right and take that step forward, even if the future is unclear or what's going to happen. Raise your hand. Like you raise said. your hand, yeah. raise your hand. <laughs> Third was leading with strategic decision-making, which is just like what you would think. It's either leading a, making good decisions yourself or leading a good decision-making process with your teams. The fourth is leading with entrepreneurship. That is all about go, Jimmy. <laughs> improving yeah. product services processes within the entity or organization that you're working for with. The fifth one is leading with stakeholder savvy. 
And it's kind of the sister tactic to emotional intelligence. It's all about understanding those that you are interacting with and understanding their perspectives and finding, you know, win-win collaborations. The sixth one is leading with a drive for result. And that's about being tenacious about getting to the end game, um, even if you have to pivot <laughs> and uh, replan along the way. And the last one, which I'll, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Just a quick, um, no, executive presence. Leading with executive presence. And that's yes. all about having that's key. the grit and fortitude to influence others with very convincing perspectives and data so that they follow your lead. And those are the seven I that we talk about. Love it. And congratulate. It's such a big deal to write a book. I feel like it's Thank one you. of those things that, and also it's such a big deal to start your own organization and to be able to watch it grow. Uh, it is a whole different ball game than um, oh being in goodness. a corporate environment. Yes. You won't believe it. And I started out as a solopreneur and now we have over 250 consultants so you know just that growth alone is uh, mind-boggling but extremely fulfilling so I would just say if there's anything that uh, we can do or I can personally do to help mentor anyone out there on the people side of business just let us know all right. Newsflash. Karen's ready for uh, inbounds. Inbounds. Absolutely. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah. Uh, Karen, I, I play a really quick uh, rapid fire word association game at the end of each of our discussions. I'm just going to ask you about four different words and whatever comes to mind right away, just blurt it out. Okay. That's scary, but okay. Yeah. It, it, you'll do great. I promise. So when I say the word mentor, what comes to mind? Relationship. And how about the word mentee? Gift. Sponsor. Advocate. Okay. And lastly, coach. Orchestrator. Oh, all right. Orchestrator is new. I like that one a lot. I like that. Yeah. Did I pass? (laughs) There's no way not to pass. This this, this is is a human focused uh, Rorschach verbal test. Uh, I want my participation trophy. Give it to me. Give it it to me. (laughs) It's already in the mail. That that ships automatically when we hang up. I got you. Thank you. Karen, it was so great to meet you and spend time with you. And thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing. We are really, really impressed um, with you and and the what you're bringing to the organization, what you're bringing to individuals through your book and your volunteering and your mentoring and, and just being such an amazing voice out there. So we're really grateful we had the chance to chat with you. We will definitely be following along, cheering you on, and thank you for your time. Julie, 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 it is always so much fun for me as you know, somebody who usually works in smaller organizations, though Tufts University is a fairly large organization, but to see like multinationals like Microsoft get peeled back a little bit and get to hear the inner layers, especially when you hear these large programs, which have clearly done so much good, not just for Microsoft, but for the world, looking at Microsoft's innovation and what they keep bringing. But that when Karen said, you know, to get this program started, it took a little magical fairy dust. And of course, it's a very humble thing for Karen to say, given you know all of her skills uh, and resources that she can bring to bear. But uh, it's, it's just amazing that uh, you got to make your own luck. And it's great to see like some zest and joy of, for the people working in these big, big businesses. I totally agree. Always a small business owner, always working with giant corporations and you can't imagine how the sausage is made. Um, but then you get to see behind the scenes and it's just humans working together to try to help other humans to be better humans so that the organization can move forward. 
And Karen is one of those humans who's helping other humans within these organizations. So her experience was really, really interesting. And speaking of sausage, one of the things I love that she talked about was this idea of bringing people from all over the globe together, having leadership training, having big conferences and big conference rooms, but having a dine-in, which is a moment where four people individually meet in a restaurant and really like break bread together, share a great meal, share a conversation and get to really understand each other better. So that when they get back into the boardroom the next day and they're looking at a bunch of PowerPoints, of course, PowerPoint, hashtag Microsoft, they are able to um, really understand each other and yeah. be able to connect better with each other. See beyond the slides. Yeah. It's not just words, <laughs> you know, and, and graphics. Yeah. I love you you got to see the people. I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the dine-in seems so basic. It's like, oh yeah, well, of course you should go to dinner with your colleagues. So then I challenge all the listeners. When was the last time you went to dinner with three other colleagues? Yeah. You're probably not that often. And having uh, the ability to also have a third party involved to kind of prepare some prompts is a pretty big deal when you think about it because it immediately builds this kind of camaraderie and like an us versus them thing where yes. like, cause like it'd be weird you know, like Julie, if you and I sat down, you know, and Erlen came, you know, and then we probably brought in Jacqueline Jen. Baker, uh, Jed. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we bring in a fourth person and I come to, to the table and I'm like, all right, you know, here's some appetizers, glass of wine. And now I would like everybody to go around and share the most embarrassing story from elementary school and their happiest story. And you'd probably be like, Jimmy, back off. Like, this is weird. But if I bring it and say, hey, look, you know, something we need to do through HR and like it might feel a little silly, but why not try it? You know, we're being asked to talk about something from elementary school that totally changes the dynamic, how it feels. We're all in it together instead of one person kind of claiming this like power position. And that makes it even easier for food to help everybody share culture and build community, which food has done for thousands and thousands of years for all humanity. So I, I love that little twist of, you know, let, let the prompts come from somebody else. I totally love that. I totally love that. And I am so dorky that I love when we have to like, no, there's no. An, there. I know so dorky. Then <laughs> there's an assignment that has to be completed because we have to totally. make the assignment and we have to make the facilitator feel okay. So Augmenters is definitely working on this. So if you have a mentoring program, if you are looking to connect better with others within your organization and set up time for these kind of dine-ins, we are here to support you. Oh yeah. Dorky, wonderful prompts. That so you'll silly in the moment, but the next yes. day you will see beyond the slides. <laughs> oh my God. See beyond the slides. Total PowerPoint, hashtag Microsoft. Okay, so the other thing she brought, which I feel like, Jimmy, we there's some things that are brand new we hear in a podcast. I'm like, oh my God, we've never heard that before. There are some things we hear over and over and over again. And it is three it phenomenal little letters that never fail to both, <laughs> to give bosses joy, to give employees fear, but it is ROI. How do you make sure that you are programs, especially if you're somebody like Karen in this uh, CHRO role or a consultant coming in, how do you make sure that all these programs are proving ROI? One, it's about people. So you got to see beyond the slides, yet that still means there are slides. You know, you, you, like you still need to say at the end, you know, you're obsessed with the slides. 
Oh yeah, no, I go. Wow, you know, we work on some pre- power, some presentations these days, Julie. But yeah, you still got to have a problem, solution, build in your story arc, all the good stuff in there, and then at the end, you got to say we're going to spend a dollar, and we're going to make back at least one dollar and one cent. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I loved how she talked about human. She talked about people initiatives are business initiatives, mm-hmm. and to help your leadership see line. that people initiatives are business initiatives. It is not just money that's froofy and going off in a different direction um, and really proving what those numbers are, whether that's retention, whether that's engagement, whether that's actual business changes in sales because you have people that are engaged, you have sales teams that are engaged, employees that are engaged. So um, really working towards confirming that ROI, it's critical. And you don't want to focus on ROI just sometimes. You want to be consistently focusing on ROI and making the business case that people are a business case. They're a reason for us to organize and be more successful together, which brings us. Are you suggesting that our principle is consistency? Is that what you're saying? You told me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being consistent in my listening to you, Julie. I'm being consistent, but, but yeah, I, I mean, Karen is a wonderful example of consistency. Easy example. Her mentoring mastermind group, Shout out VPAC. They met every month for 10 years. What? Super consistency. Amazing. I love it. I love it. You know, we we heard very early on, shout out Ron Johnson, that, you know, people overestimate what they can get done in a year and underestimate what they can get done in five. And And 10 every week. That's every month. Every month. That's incredible. That is incredible consistency. Yep. I thought it was, it's such a powerful way there. And also Karen's so clear and consistent in her volunteering with uh, Sherm Atlanta, her, her volunteer in the community. You know, when, when you make that a habit, consistency, a habit, you're going to see it echoing all over your life. And, you know, Karen vibrantly lives that. Yeah. And she's consistently brought this importance of people initiatives or business initiatives. And that's her main message that she brought at Microsoft. She brought at big companies. She brings in her clients. She brings in her book if you haven't had a chance to read it yet. And we love spending time with Karen. We are uh, totally cheering for her. Exciting stuff happening. And uh, yeah, what a great conversation. I can't wait to um, have dorky prompts and go to dinner. Can we do that? Food is how you share culture. Food is how you build community. Thank you. Love it. Wow, you've made it this far and we thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us or on social with our handle at AugmentorsHQ. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. 
Augmenters out. See ya.